sweet, sweet presence in this place, your sweet aroma, Jesus. Lord, speak to us through your word this morning. We ask that by the power, the ministry of your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be touched, convicted, prompted, inspired, encouraged, and strengthened by your living word, Lord. We're dependent. We hang on every word, Lord, just as the people who walked the earth with you sat on the edge of their seat hanging on to every word with their eyes fixated on you. Lord, help us to give us your undivided, help us to give you our undivided hearts and undivided attention with a holy fear and reverence of your word that leads us to abundant life and joy as you minister to us. Lord, anoint my lips that I may speak the words that you give to me. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You might have noticed if you read any context in our gospel passage today that it occurs at a point when Jesus has just come off a fast. <laughs> Did you, anybody notice that? that? Earlier in the gospel um, of Luke, Jesus has just finished doing 40 days of fasting and warfare with the devil in the wilderness. How many of you this week when you were fasting felt like you were doing a little bit of battle with Satan? <laughs> or maybe a whole lot of it. I know at that midweek point, uh, my flesh was saying, just one piece of pizza wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> just one little candy bar wouldn't hurt. And uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for such a beautiful, beautiful week. But I want you to notice something in this passage with the words with which it begins. And Jesus has endured much opposition and trial while he is weary from fasting as he endured the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. And Luke tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in what? The power of the Spirit. Because when you live a life of fasting and prayer and going after the Lord's presence and being willing to do warfare with the enemy of your souls, you better believe that you're going to need to live life full of the Holy Spirit and that the Lord will fill you with his Holy Spirit. Because the more of me that goes out, the more of him comes in. Amen. The sermon title uh, that I have today is Know Your Anointing. And it's apparent in this passage that Jesus knew his anointing because of the words from the scroll of Isaiah that he reads. And I want to encourage us to know our anointing because to be full of the Holy Spirit, you need to know what that actually means. And to know what your anointing is, what I mean by that, when I say no, it, I mean to have intimate knowledge and awareness of something that leads to action. We don't just go about, I'm anointed, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, great, just lived another day. No, we go out into the world expecting that God is going to use us as we are emptied out of ourselves and full of his spirit to bless others and to communicate Jesus to others. His presence, his truth, and his salvation. 
You and I are living in times more now than ever. I hear more and more uh, Christian leaders and, and, and uh, just world leaders saying the world is like falling apart in front of our faces. It seems like society, and maybe the, you might think that I'm being extreme, but I have these moments lately when I go to the store with my kids and I'm in the toy section and I look and it's three weeks after Christmas and there's a whole row where there's usually toy cars and it's empty. I mean, I've been having these moments where I'm like, stuff is different. Things are changing. All, inflation is at a crazy high. The, the world in society is going deeper and deeper into chaos. And we need a church that is not just sleepy and going along with it and going, yeah, I guess things are kind of bad. Maybe it'll get better. Just give it a year or so. We're going to get back on our feet. I don't think so. I don't think so, for one. I don't think that things are just going to go back to good old normal. Everybody keeps saying, well, back to normal. I don't want to hear that phrase ever again. I don't think it's going back to normal. And we're living in challenging times, but the hope is that in those challenging times, this is our moment of opportunity. Because there's so many people wandering around out there just going with the narratives that they hear from the news media, many of which are blatantly false or twisted with all kinds of lies. Because if you hadn't heard, the human heart is sinful and full of greed and deception and things like that. And Christians are meant to be a voice of truth, not a voice of um, uh, uh, reaction and opposition and violence towards people who are perpetuating uh, false narratives but to love them and serve them, but to take a stand for the truth. Now, there's many things I could have said over this last year that people would have said, oh, he's being political, and I have chosen to keep my mouth shut. But I'm telling you that if, as a Christian, you can't resist something that you feel is unjust and is a violation of human freedom, like having to show a a passport to be able to go into a grocery store or a restaurant, how will you have the gall to resist the mark of the beast when the days are really growing short? And because the mark of the beast, you know what the mark of the beast is? It's allegiance to the empire rather than allegiance to God. And Christians, today we need to be able to take a stand. And I'm not standing up here to tell you exactly what that looks like in the political sphere and things like that. I'm not saying that we need a violent revolution, God forbid, anything like that. But we need to be people who live on the conviction of truth and whose lives are led by the word of God and, and not to think that uh, it's divine truth, everything that comes out of somebody on CNN or Fox News or whatever your news source is. We need to discern from the word of God. We need to discern the times. And Christians, we need to know our anointing because people need to feel and know the presence of God and the truth of Jesus Christ now like never before. Martin Luther King, who we just celebrated, wonderful Martin Luther King, who we just celebrated a few days ago, he said this. He said, Christians should not be thermometers who simply can take the climate and test the climate and and say, oh yeah, this is the climate. I'll show you what it is and talk about it. He said, Christians need to be thermostats who can actually change the climate around them because their hearts cry out for justice and truth and righteousness. And he demonstrated that right in his own life. He knew his anointing to bring justice to the African-American people of the United States of America. And in just like him, each of us have an anointing from the Lord to be a thermostat and to change the climate around us, not just go, oh man, things are really bad. Yeah, anybody could tell you that. But we're, as Christians, we're called to be people of action. We're not, not to be people who are passive, but to do that, we need to know our anointing. We need to understand what it is. And I'm going to say what I mean by anointing, if that's an unfamiliar term or phrase to anybody. 
I want to look at the, the gospel reading of today, starting in verse 18. Now, Jesus, um, he's in the synagogue, and this was normal practice for uh, Jewish men would be in the synagogue and they would uh, stand up to read the scroll from the scriptures. And then normally they would uh, sit down and, and explain the scriptures, kind of like give a sermon. Okay, so that was a normal practice for Jewish men. And today Jesus is reading the scroll. He opens it. And, I, and I, I, had, I have to imagine that in this moment there was some kind of crazy, tangible sense of the spirit of God in the air as he read this passage. There had to be. Because not only is he reading a passage, he's actually proclaiming something about himself. The eternal son of God who actually breathed these words through the prophet Isaiah 600 years before he read them in the synagogue is standing up in himself declaring them about him. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. And so let's just look at a few things that he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus knew that with confidence. And we have to know that as confidence as Christians. Sometimes you need to say to yourself. Now, I, I remember the Saturday Night Live skits with what's his name who looked in the mirror and said, gosh, darn it, you're good enough. You're strong enough and you can do it. And I'm not talking about self-help motivation, but sometimes you need to say to yourself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I will not believe the lies of the devil today that I cannot make a difference in other people's lives. I will not believe the lies of the devil that I have to stay in this addiction, that I have to stay in bondage to this sin. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because if you put your trust in Jesus, he is. And then Jesus says this, because he has anointed me. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you read the Old Testament, you see that when a king or a priest was appointed to their office and consecrated to that role, they were also anointed with oil poured over their head, olive oil. And that oil would uh, drip down and go over the beard and down the skirts and everything. I mean, they used a lot of it. And that meant that you had been set apart by God to play a particular role and that God's blessing was on the office that you had been set apart to. That's powerful. The anointing is powerful. And Jesus knew his anointing. It meant that he had God's approval, had the power of God's spirit on him. And we as Christians, the reason that we do things like fasting and prayer and the spiritual disciplines is so that we become increasingly sensitive to the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is on us. Because every single one of us has undergone a kind of priestly or royal anointing and by putting our faith in Jesus Christ because he's the anointed one. That's what the word Christ means, anointed one, Messiah. And you and I are Christians, that literally means little Christs, little anointed ones. So he's given us a share in his anointing. The Lord Jesus has given you a share in his anointing. Do you believe it? No, you don't. Do you believe it? Come on. He's given you a share in that. We should be walking in that from day to day. And thus, and why we take the flesh into battle and we battle the flesh so that we can become more aware of that so that we can walk in action. Now, why is Jesus anointed? 
He's speaking, he's combining verses from two passages in the prophet Isaiah, like I said, was written about 600 years before his time. One, some of these verses are from Isaiah 61 and some from Isaiah 58. with great intention and he says he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor okay the poor who are hungry for god and in righteousness but they don't have earthly means and they're of no note to anybody they're of no popularity they're of, they don't have honor in society the good news of the gospel is for them and he's also he says sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Do you know how many people, when you are out in your everyday life doing your shopping at, at Publix or Trader Joe's or wherever you do your shopping, do you know how many prisoners you are probably in the room with? Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm talking about spiritual prisoners who are in, in spiritual bondage to the blindness that keeps them from knowing the freedom and the abundant life that is only in Jesus Christ. People, the thing about being deceived is that you don't know you're deceived. The thing about being a spiritual prisoner to unbelief is that you aren't aware of it. But do you know how people get made aware of it? Well, by the Holy Spirit, yes, of course. But do you know his number one way of working to get people's attention? It's through the proclamation of the gospel inspired by the Spirit, the people of the Spirit. That's how God gets people's attention, to wake them up. And then you let him do the work in their hearts that needs to. There are prisoners all around us. There are prisoners to addiction. There are prisoners to sin. There are prisoners to uh, uh, sexual immorality. There's prisoners to pride and to greed and the lust for money. There are prisoners to deception, widespread deception in our society. There are people that are just going along with it as if life is fine. Not even aware that they're separated from God in his truth and the life that he has for them and the love that he has for them. And you and I called to walk in the anointing of Christ to make him known. So here's another thing he says, I've come to give recovery of sight for the blind. This is both a physical and a spiritual reality because we see both of those in Jesus's life. He heals numerous blind people, brings sight to their eyes. And that is an example for us to lay our hands on the sick so that they will recover. But Jesus, anytime he heals physical blindness, it's a sign of what he deeply desires to do for a person spiritually, which is to free them from blindness to unbelief, to rejecting him. Uh, today, it's people's blindness to think that he's just a little bit less than the Bible says he is. He was divine in that he had an enlightened mind, or even some people will say, Hindus will say he was a God, or he is a God, one of many. Some will say he was a good teacher, and he had laudable teachings, and I admire him, and so on and so forth. But friends, those people are still blind. Because Paul says that... Uh, Satan has blinded the eyes of unbelievers from what? From seeing the glory of Christ. The, the, I can't, it's such a long sentence that I would have to slaughter it if I tried to do it. But essentially what he says in 2 Corinthians 4 is that he keeps unbelievers from seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. It's when people recognize the glory of the Lord that they give their lives to him. When they recognize and sense that they are lost sinners in the presence of a holy God who's actually reaching out to them with love and forgiveness rather than the wrath that they deserve, that's when people recognize his glory and say, I need that. 
but that comes through now Jesus's delegation of us, his spirit people who make his glory known in our lives by word and by deed, by bold proclamation. Jesus says he also came to set the oppressed free. That line sums up Jesus's ministry. Jesus came to set free. Now, what does it mean to be set free? This is a reference to slavery. Well, if you're a slave, maybe you're in chains. You're at least in uh, you're in an oppressive environment where you are uh, the slave of a master. You don't have a lot of freedom. You do what you're told, and that is it. But there's also, when we're in slavery to sin and unbelief, sin is our master. And so every time we, have to, we fire up the computer to look at things that we shouldn't, or every time we, we indulge in drunkenness, or every time that we uh, do something that, like that because we have to have it, sin is our master. And beloved, we weren't created. People weren't created to live that way. That's why people are unhappy and miserable and depressed because they're on a never-ending cycle of indulging in sin and they think it's somehow it's going to just keep pacifying them and it never does, as many of us know. And Jesus wants to set people free from those cycles. But how will people be convicted or come to a knowledge that they're prisoners and captives and slaves of sin unless somebody preaches the gospel in power to them? Because I'm telling you, when you are anointed of God and you start speaking the gospel somebody, and I'm not talking about shouting at people with megaphones and, the Lord says you need to repent or you're going to hell. I'm not talking about shouting to people like that. I'm talking about simply sharing the truth of the gospel with conviction. I'm telling you, the spirit of the Lord is on you. And that means that he is the one who is going to make it real to the person who is listening. That's his role. So it's not even really about how emotionally riled up you feel to preach the gospel. It's simply that you say to yourself, I know the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm going to share the gospel with this person. I'm going to offer the pray with this person. I'm going to lay hands on this sick person and I'm going to let him do his work because I'm just called to be obedient. And you say, well, what if I don't really feel the anointing? What if I don't feel it? What if I don't feel God or I feel friends, beloved, there's no greater fast track to maturity in the Christian life than raw obedience. You hear what I'm saying? So you don't have to feel a certain way to be anointed. Sometimes you won't. And that's God seeing if we will be good stewards of what we say we believe when we read the word that says we're anointed by his spirit. And sometimes you will feel the anointing and you'll know I have to minister in this way right now because the spirit of God is telling me to do this. Okay. Many captives will be set free. You see, Christians, we have to get, um, we have to stay uncomfortable. I think comfort is the, one of the most grievous and destructive forces in the Christian church in the Western world today. Comfort, 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 comfort. Well, I'm comfortable at church. I'm comfortable when we sing songs. I'm comfortable there. and I'm comfortable doing that. But comfort will be the death of us if we keep idolizing it. It will be the death of us if we keep idolizing it. And we have to let go and we have to stop bending our knee to comfort and bend our knee to Jesus. That's when you're going to start seeing the fruit that God has planned for all of eternity for you to bear in your life come to fruition, come into reality. Now, 
I had this week while we were on the fast, the Lord, um, I've had these before, but I had dreams of ministering in healing and deliverance to people. Ministering in healing and deliverance to people. And I know the Lord was showing me that this is, this is your anointing as a little Christ, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus who's anointed by the Spirit. Your anointing is to simply walk in this stuff as if it's your bread and butter, as if it's just what you do. It's part and parcel of the Spirit-filled life. That's what I was reminded of. I know you all have heard the voice of the Lord this week speaking to you about specific things too, but may we be a people who are obedient so that people are set free. There's nothing more joyful than watching captives get set free from sin as their master and, their, and, and from the, the slavery to sin and coming into the joy of the abundant life that Jesus is offering them to come out of. He's so good, isn't he? He's so good, and we'll see his goodness manifest when we take those things seriously and we, we walk in them take risks, beloved. Every one of us has gifts that's a part of the anointing of the Spirit on us. We have gifts, but we're not going to see those gifts really grow or be activated or be fruitful unless we start taking risks to use them. And start Until we start becoming obedient, I think the Lord might be calling me to do this and just going for it and just going for it. The other day I went for it in Walmart. <laughs> I was walking out. It was just in early in the morning, so there wasn't very many people there, but there was some ladies who worked there, and I don't know, the Lord just told me that I needed to offer prayer, so I said, good morning, how's everybody doing? <laughs> it was like Ace Ventura or something. Really. I, I mean, it's probably what I looked like to them. I said, anybody need to be touched by God this morning? Do you need prayer? And a lady says, yes. And I ended up praying for her. She'd lost her husband recently, and she was weeping, and the Lord gave me a word for her as I was praying for her about an issue with uh, her health insurance that he was going to provide for her and uh, that just cut to the heart. So I was able to share the gospel and pray for someone, but it was just simply, I don't know, just what, do whatever you're prompted to do. Walk into a room and say, hey, I know this is kind of crazy, but I'm a follower of Jesus. Does anybody need prayer today? I mean, every time I've done something like that, there's been somebody who's hungry. There's fish who are ready to jump into the boat. I'm telling you, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers who are few. There's not enough fishermen to catch all the fish that are out there. There's a prophetic sign of that when Peter had been out fishing all night and the Lord, he had first met the Lord and the Lord said, Peter, throw your nets on the other side of the um, boat. And Peter said, oh yeah, sure, Mr. Rabbi thinks he knows about fishing. I'm the fisherman. Okay, sure, Lord, if you say so. And he throws his net over and it becomes so full of fish miraculously that when he pulls it in the boat, the boat starts to sink, to sink. So Jesus provides the fish. The harvest is plentiful, but we're called to be the fishermen. And if you're not throwing out a line, you're never going to catch any fish to get them into the boat. Okay. That's why our theme this year is casting our nets and going out. And I'm going to say a few things about that today at our annual meeting when I give my presentation on a vision. Now, I want to point out something, verse 19, because this is a very important point of the passage. Jesus says that he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, This is a reference to something that Israelites would have been very familiar with called the Jubilee year. How many people are familiar with the Jubilee in the Old Testament? So it comes from the book of Leviticus. I think it's chapter 25. I don't remember. But 
The Jubilee was for the Israelites, for God's people, every 50 years, it was essentially total debt forgiveness. No matter who owed who what and how many millions of dollars you owed people, and if you were a slave, you also had the option and opportunity to move out of slavery and go back to your family. So it was like, that's why it's called the year of the Lord's favor. And there was jubilee trumpets that were blown. Like on that day that when 50 years rolled around. And that was a day of celebration and rejoicing because God's, it was only by God's favor and grace that people got set free from their captivity to debt and to, uh, into slavery. And that's a picture in the Old Testament. It's a symbolic and prophetic picture of today how people get indebted to sin and death and enslaved to things that they need to get out of. And if you're enslaved and deceived and blind and you're deep in the muck in the mire, you can't get out of it by willpower and by yourself. You need someone else from outside of you to rescue you. And that's what the Lord's favor is. Because he sent his son to die to say, do, 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 I'm blowing the trumpet. It is the year of Jubilee. It is not only the day of Jubilee. It is the season of Jubilee until his return. And so Jesus said, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Which means... Freedom is offered to everybody, and it's free. You just come to me, and you get set free. And so people can come to Jesus and be set free from bondages like that. They can be set free from the slavery of sin. They can come out of a, a life of unbelief and two minutes later go, I can't even believe I was in that. What happened? The Lord woke you up and proclaimed his favor over you and gave you his grace. The Bible says that people by nature are deserving of God's wrath, okay? And we have to wrestle with that. That's God's settled wrath against sin and those who participate in it and who have not turned away from it and asked forgiveness for it. But it says, however, in his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy raised us up with Christ. That's Jubilee. That's the Lord's favor. And that is the message that we are anointed to proclaim and to demonstrate to people. When somebody's arm gets healed when you pray for them, that's a declaration of jubilee, the Lord's favor. They just got set free from what? Bondage to sickness. When you pray over someone and they feel an oppressive spirit lift off of them, they just got set free from demonic bondage to something. That's jubilee, 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 and the trumpets in heaven are sounding when we do those things. Hallelujah. You all with me? Good. I need to get my other water because my, my mouth is dry. All right. So Jesus pronounced a jubilee with our sin. Colossians chapter 2 says, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. That's like the, the record of your debt that the, the person you owe it to says, Hello! You have to pay this until then you're my slave. And the devil did that with our sin. And Jesus took it and he pinned it to himself on the cross and it was cleared out and it no longer belongs to you when you put your faith in him. That's Jubilee. Can somebody please say amen? (laughs) I hope that that sinks into us today. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. No more debt. There's no more debt. No more sin debt. Now, there's an interesting thing that I want to point out, and it is this. Jesus intentionally leaves out what Isaiah 61 says next. The next thing that Isaiah 61 says, after 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, you can look it up. It says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Okay. So that was a thing to celebrate that God was going to bring vengeance on the enemies of Israel. And Jesus cuts it short. Why does he do that? This is why John the Baptist said, Somebody, you know, fire and brimstone, John the Baptist, who Jesus thought very highly of, he said, somebody needs to go ask him, are you the Messiah or are we to wait for someone else? Because I don't see, I don't see your sickle and your sword bringing judgment yet, like I'm expecting it to. Because I, you know, John knew Isaiah 61 said, vengeance of God is coming. And he expected the Messiah to be coming in with a heavy hand and wreaking vengeance on the enemies of God. But Jesus leaves it out and it's very intentional. Because Jesus knows that there will be a day of vengeance where God will execute justice on all of his enemies, on all of the wicked and unbelieving and immoral. It's very clear in the Bible. I wish it weren't true. I wish, I wish that so there was some other way that everybody would just get saved in the end and get to be a part of God's kingdom forever and ever. But it's true. But Jesus knew that his ministry was ushering in a season of mercy and grace where God's favor, his jubilee favor was being poured out on the world in and through his ministry because he took the payment that deserved the wrath and the judgment. And so right now we're in a season where God, it is the year of God's favor. Right now until Jesus returns, it is the year of God's favor. And sinners who are lost in the deepest and darkest sin don't have to do anything except come to him. And receive that gift. Isn't that, that's why it's called good news. And, and, G, and I, hear me, Jesus believed, he knows in the end, it does say he will come again to judge his enemies, to, to, to bring destruction. He will. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, will come back in his fierce and wild. Gentle, G, uh, I don't know what to call him. Something Jesus, fierce and wild. But he will return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand. But he's... He's extending mercy with everything he can, even to the point of giving up his own life and letting it be snuffed out because he wanted the mercy of God to be poured out on us and on the world out there. And beloved, you have an anointing to make that message known to people. You have an anointing to do that. Now, Jesus then says this. I mean, this is, this is gutsy. He says... Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Like, you know that when he got up there to read, he was human and he had to be wrestling thoughts. He had to be wrestling the thoughts, the, the pushback of the enemy that says, do you know these people have watched you grow up? Do you know what they'll say about you? Who do you think you are saying that this is fulfilled? In you and your ministry, he had to be wrestling those thoughts, thinking no more party invitations for me. When I say this, when I declare that this is about me, they're going to laugh at me. But something in him rose up and he looked out at the people of the synagogue with confidence and with conviction and with passion, because something rose up in him and said, I must obey the voice of my father. Because partnering with him is infinitely more important to me than the opinion of men. Do you know that if you live by the opinion of men, you will die by their criticism? Nobody should live like that. 
under that kind of bondage. Jesus said there are people who are about to get set free from years of demonic oppression and cutting themselves and and, and discouragement and despair and broken legs and crippled bodies. They're about to be set free from being consigned to a life of begging. And he saw that before him and he said, I don't care what the people in the synagogue think. And you better believe it in a few verses. They're going to start coming after him for his head. That's next week's passage. But he saw that the work that was ahead of him was going to set so many people free and bring them to wholeness. And it gave him such joy to do that, that he could say up, stand up and say with confidence, today this scripture is fulfilled. He could stand up with confidence and know his anointing. The question is, can you and I do the same? Now, let's not forget... That the glorious anointing of God's spirit that rests on us, and it does, comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. Jesus, throughout his whole life, is suffering. And he was always looking down the road towards the ultimate form of suffering, when he, which would be his own execution. But he faced the suffering of mocking of rejection of the, the people, even the people in his hometown trying to push him off a cliff because they hated what he had to say so much. They hated his anointing. There will be people that despise your anointing. When you walk in the power of the Spirit of God, there will be people who are like, I don't even want to be in the room with this guy, and I don't know why. You know why? Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you cannot let the fear of men and the opinion of others dictate your life and your anointing from God or you'll be hindered from that abundant life of joy and peace. And Jesus, all his life, faced it constantly, constantly, constantly. He had to push forward. He had to push through it. He had to sometimes walk straight through multitudes who were trying to shove him off of cliffs. We sometimes forget that about Jesus. Jesus was, he had some followers, but he was not liked by the religious people. Jesus was not liked when he went to church. (laughs) But, as a result of his obedience, our salvation was secured forever. And the salvation of that person out there that God is calling you to minister to was secured. It was won for them. And the healing in the body of the person that God is calling you to pray for was already paid for at the cross. And the deliverance uh, uh, from the person who's afflicted by dark spirits has already been won and paid for by the blood that was shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago. But it all came at a cost. The anointing to be able to set people free comes at a cost. Now, we didn't have to go to the cross. We haven't yet. But it does come at a cost. And the cost for us is being willing to endure the scorn of a culture that is becoming increasingly day-by-day anti-Christian. I saw some of you might have seen the the news clip. Somebody posted um, on Facebook, so I watched it. It was on Tucker Carlson was interviewing a gentleman from the Satanic Church. Did anybody see that? And there's, um, I think it's in Illinois somewhere, there's a school, a public school, that is allowing a club called Satan's Children for their children after school. That parents can enroll them. And now this, the Church of Satan says it believes in 
benevolence and kindness towards humanity, but its main thing is about self-rule. And people enrolling their children in this. Like it's not even hidden or subtle anymore. It's like the devil is just out there and people just are bending their knee to him. It's a desperate time that we live in. And people need to see the truth and the glory and the goodness and the love of Jesus for them. They need to see it. And in giving our lives to this, to live out this anointing, people will get free and will experience joy in our own cup. Because when you give away, your own cup is getting filled up. And our cup will be filled up. Now, this is the last thing I want to say. Jesus came so that we might have life abundant. But he wants us to share that abundant life with others. When something's abundant, when you have something in abundance, unless you're a stingy person, what do you do? You share. You give it away. And you have an abundant life flowing in you. The life of the love and the peace and the joy of God flowing in you that Jesus secured for you. And you're called to give it away. So give it away. Will you give it away this year? Will you give it away through praying for people, through, through welcoming people, through blessing your enemies and those who persecute you? Will you give that abundant life away? Because we're being called as a church to do that in, in a new way. In a new way. And I see that abundant life flowing among us when we are here on Sundays. But I feel like it's building up and it's like, and, and I know in some ways it's going out, but I feel like the, it's about to, the, 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 the water balloon can't hold any more water and it's got to flow out there in our lives. And that's been my prayer through uh, fasting and seeking the Lord this week is that it really would flow abundantly through us moving forward into this new year. We're still in January. We're still at the beginning. And the Lord wants that abundant life to flow through us now. It's not a season of vengeance and um, being vindictive and coming against our enemies. We might desire a total cultural revolution. I mean, I want to believe for that. I want to believe that the whole culture could be saved and the whole United States could become Christian and all of that. I don't see that in Scripture. I can believe for that and want that. But the reality of Scripture is that it seems like it's the ways of God to usually, almost always, work through a remnant of people who are all in, who are sold out. And the, um, there's so many instances of this. I was, my attention was drawn to one in Second Kings chapter 19. God is speaking to King Hezekiah. And he says, once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. You see, the, the remnant that God is raising up today will know that she shares in the anointing of Jesus himself. She will know that with conviction and passion, and she will see mighty things. Can you believe it? So we'll, we'll have um, we'll just respond to the Lord for a few minutes with some worship. Just want us to stay in that tender place that we've been in, and 
we'll have prayer at the altar, of course. Some, some of you might be feeling like, convicted man, I want to live into my anointing. I want to, I want to maybe I have not been seeing it or living it out like I know I should be. And I just want prayer. I just want the Lord to touch me. Somebody pray for me. Come up.